welcome to Season 3 of Lightwork Presents Everything is Connected, where we share inspiring stories with artists and art professionals on a wide range of topics about life and work. We share ideas on our inspirations and the influences that affect our lives. I sit down with artists and thought leaders across the diaspora to learn more about the things that make them tick, the ideas that they are passionate about, and the ways in which their work seeks to impact our society in a variety of ways. Join us as we continue the journey of sharing the interesting and inspiring stories of some of today's most dynamic artists and art professionals in the industry. Let's go! On this episode, I was joined by Larry Osei-Mensa. This would be my third time having Larry on the show, but this time he's interviewing me. It was really a change of pace for me to be on the other side of the table, so to speak, and be asked questions about how I feel and what I think about the work that I do, what I think about the experiences that I've been having. But you know, Larry asked all the right questions and we really were able to dig deep into our experiences. Over the last couple of weeks, which seem to have flown by, we've both been in Ghana spending time here, connecting with artists, and of course, the reason that we both came, at least for me, was to participate and celebrate the launch of Amuako Boafo's Artist-in-Residency program, Dot Atelier. Larry happens to be Ghanaian and spends his time here every Christmas and has been doing so for several years. So for both of us, there were elements that were new, but elements that were very familiar. For me, it was great to see familiar faces and be among the company of friends. It was also really transformative to be in a place that I've never been before and to step foot on the continent after 25 years of not having been here. So for me, that was a really big deal and it's been a super incredible trip. I've met so many amazing people and really I've had wonderful, unforgettable experiences here. You'll notice that this episode is a little bit more of a conversation. Of course, Larry does ask questions and there is an element of a Q&A style, but we really just talk the way we always talk. We get into it, we share our ideas, And so through Larry's thoughtful questions, I was really able to open up and share some of the things that I noticed and some of the things that took place for me while I was here in Ghana. Let's dive into this first episode of season three with me and Larry Osei-Mensa. What's up? What's up, Larry? It's 2023, beginning of the year, me and you in Ghana. And we've been here for a bit, and I think we're both having a great time. Yeah. No, thank you for having me back on the podcast. I think it's the third time. Yeah. Hey. Second time was with Patrick. Yes. First time really kind of set the tone, I think, for what I would be speaking about and the kind of people I would be speaking to. Mm-hmm. And you, you really, as you have always been, is so generous and connecting with me with tons of people that have since been on the show. Yeah continue to create a platform of great conversation and really like intimate chats so it's good to have you back yeah but, thank you but um, i know you said you wanted to talk to me about a couple of things yeah because so. nah, i think you know we were talking yesterday about like journaling and it's not something i necessarily do but i realize the importance of like time stamping and documenting these conversations these moments particularly when you're in the moment because it'll be something different when you get home, there's a different kind of reality that you have to kind of engage and like, it'll be interesting like what shifts you in the time that you spent in Ghana, what tries to pull you back and then you have to kind of reject it. Right. But just also just kind of curious about your observations. I mean, it's your first time here. You know, I've been actively coming here since like 2000, Christmas more so maybe the last six, seven years. And so I obviously have a bias. But I think also, you know, 
I'm here because it's home, but I think also I'm here because it's an incredible energy in the creative community right now. And, you know, I'm curious about, like, what are your observations in terms of, like, artists you've met, you know, maybe musicians you've met, and, and, and through those observations, how can that be an insight to the broader art world, right? Because I think generosity is, 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 is something that's within the DNA of this community. And I think in the art world, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't, one. But then two, being in a space that's devoid of, like, the white gaze. You know, and how does that expand how you think about yourself, think about the arts, think about the work you do? Because I know for me, it's like charging my battery so that when I go wherever I'm going next, there's a different level of confidence in just what I do. But then it heightens my intentionality with, with which, or what I do, you know? So, I mean, what are your impressions on, like, the Ghana art scene, creative scene, things that, like, surprised you? Just to kind of harken back to our earlier conversation yesterday and some of the things I've been thinking about since I've been here. One, there's sort of the fact that I haven't stepped foot on the continent in over 25 years, mm. and I'm half Nigerian. And there are many reasons for that that, you know, won't be discussed in this conversation. But for one of the most impactful things I felt while being here is that I have I have a sense of belonging and I feel mm. a sense of belonging. Mm. And it's not necessarily something that I feel in the States. Even though I was born and bred in New York and grew up in Brooklyn and lived in Harlem for many years and I've lived in Manhattan most of my life, there's still a sense that this place isn't for me, wasn't built for me, and there's somewhere that I could return to. So that's sort of on a very top level, like first initial impressions and thoughts. But then having spent, you know, the first four days here, just coming... So what initially brought you here? So you initially brought me here like you reaching out setting up a whatsapp chat group chat with me and nyla and everything that transpired within a couple days is actually what brought me to ghana but that was because of amako's the launch of his residency and foundation and so in the four days that i had been here that was the initial timeline for the trip i you know i touch down i fly in i land in the afternoon and straight into the evening i'm invited to this incredible dinner at pomona in osu where i get to meet and walk over the first time i get to see old friends from new york i get to see new people and, and meet new people and i instantly recognize that i'm a part of something very special i'm participating and taking part in something that's very special and one of the things that we talked about in the last you know since i've been here it's like the idea of being a part of history as it's being made, mm-hmm. right? So not reflecting on something, but realizing that the moment and the space that you are taking part in is a historical moment. And going back to journaling, it's like the power of documenting those moments, as in, I was here, I was active, I participated, and what I have done has impact and can impact others. You know, and the conversation we had yesterday, I think about 20 or 30 years from now, right? Like just mm-hmm. that timeline is stuck in my head from our conversation and thinking about, well, will anyone know that I was ever here? If the work that I do is not ever documented, if the conversations that I have are not ever archived. And so I have many different impressions, but I think that being, being invited opened me up to a world of creativity, a world of community, a world of artistic expression that I sort of might have had an inkling of prior to mm-hmm. but it wasn't until stepping foot here spending time here meeting artists doing studio visits having conversations traveling to different parts of ghana 
that I really began to see how dynamic the community is here and how wide-ranging it is. There are so many people doing different things. So there's no sense of boredom. There's no sense of stagnation. The energy is hot. It's like moving, you know? And, and I think coming from a city like New York, where the pace of things is so fast and the turn of things is so fast, and you're used to an environment where you're always moving, Accra also has that energy. Mm. It's different, and there are different elements of, of the pace of the city and the pace of the country at large, but I think that that sense of movement is something that I very much recognize. And so there was a fam- there's a familiarity in the experience that I'm having, but also a complete foreign newness. And in that newness, I mean, are, what are the things that you've learned about, that you feel comfortable sharing about yourself, but then how has that maybe shifted how you think about your contribution to the ecosystem? Well, I think some of the things that I've learned about myself are, you know, that while I'm while I may feel at home here, I am a foreigner in many, many ways. You know, I'm not Ghanaian by birth or by ethnicity, I'm Nigerian, so there is that. You know, people will talk about the Jalof conversation and it's it's you know, it's a funny thing, but it's yeah. also it also has somewhat of an element of seriousness to yeah. it. And and I think the the biggest takeaway is like you don't come in and think that you own anything. You don't come in and think that you can dictate things. You really the respectful and, in my estimation, the right way to approach a new environment is to take notes, is to listen, is to allow yourself to learn, allow yourself to be in a position to be educated. And a lot of that comes from watching, observing. And I think there have been moments where I've wanted to maybe push and I'm like, oh my God, I, I would like, you know, I'll walk into a space and I'll be like, damn, I want to curate a show here. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, but you just got here. Yeah. You got to learn the lay of the land first. You got to like connect yeah. with people. I mean, I agree with this. Sometimes it's like... Just got to pull the trigger. Yeah. I mean, I think... Because even if you have an idea, there's still a process to, like, sculpting the idea to a point where, like, you and the collaborating institution are aligned, right? And I think... You know, I think that's the beauty of what's happening now is that, like, you know, if it's the right situation and it's well-resourced, there's opportunity. Right. Right? And I think you pointed to it earlier in terms of the dynamism and I think it's important that we have as many perspectives and voices to ensure that you know there's a multifaceted approach to what's happening in the creative community here right and that people are not just leaning on one way of working and I think sometimes it necessitates the perspective of someone from the outside because you're don't have the bias you're kind of looking at it is what it is for you Whereas, like, you know, sometimes when you're in it and you get caught up in the minutiae and the politics of the place, you don't see the ample opportunities or conversations or micro-conversations that can occur. Like, for me, that was a learning that I took away when I worked on the Biennial in Athens with the Home Social Club. And I had been going back to Greece, like, you know, at least once or twice a year for, like, three, four years prior to that. And it was just, like, doing, doing what I do here, just doing studio visits, observing it was never with the intention of trying to curate something, but it was just more to understand, yeah. right? And you see there's a kind of tempo and a rhythm and like, you know, you show up at the house party and like they see you as one of them, but then like through that, you know, you, you listen and understand and be like, all right, what's the play here, right? And then how can I do what I do, right? Make it a bit self-reflective, but then also highlight the incredible 
vastness of ideas and approaches in a place, right? So like with the biennial, 20% of the artists had to be of Greek descent, Greek origin. So like already I knew a, good, a big chunk of them because I had been in dialogue with them. And it was organic and not with an intention of like making a show. It was just like, you know, maybe do a project. And so I think Athens was instructive in that, you know, I, I was embraced as like, although, you know, it's clear I wasn't an Athenian, but I had a nuanced understanding of the place. Right. And that allowed to build trust. And I think really it's more so about like not, you know, not the idea of imposing yourself, but it's more about building trust and knowing that whatever it is you do here, there's an intentionality with it. And it's with the mindset of complimenting what's happening, or if there's like a pocket of stagnation or status quo, like how do we shake this up so people don't get comfortable? But I think it needs to be like a mixed strategy of people on the ground and then people from the outside who have expertise and perspective. And I think it's not, you know, you mentioned as long as you're not trying to like dictate what's happening, you know, and you're kind of working within the flow, but you still impose, you know, a heightened level of accountability 100%. in terms of execution because your name is on it, if you, whatever it is. So, you know, I think it's a case-by-case situation and I think you have to do what works for you. But I'm excited to hear that, like, you know, ideas are percolating in your mind and, like, you're responding to, like, the spaces you visited, the artists you talked to because, you know, I think that's also kind of like to catch 22. A lot of people come here, have a fantastic time and maybe don't come back and yeah. then you have some people who come here and they're like, this is it. How do I add to whatever was already happening? You know? And for me, that's exciting. It's a, I, right now, it's just more like mentoring capacity. You know, and obviously, if I can collaborate with artists, I do it. But I've definitely taken that approach where it's just kind of more observing and not trying to jump to curate something here. Because if that's not, in my mind, that's not what's needed for me. I can just be more of value doing the studio visits cultivating the dialogue, applying pressure on artists and like challenge themselves and not get comfortable. But then also like with my friends who want to collect, helping them identify artists that they can support and go on a journey with, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think with regards to collecting and with regards to mentorship and curating, I feel like you're speaking to the fact that the art world in the capacity that both of us engage with it in has so many layers Mm -hmm. and you sort of you know you sit at a table with many chairs you wear many hats you take on many positions and i think realizing that it's an ecosystem and we you know we collectively use that word very often because so many everything is impacted by something else the relationship that you have with an artist impacts the way the artist may engage with their collector with the way they engage with their galleries the way they may engage with fellow artists and vice versa and so i think when you when you start to see that your role plays a much bigger role. And I think, you know, Marco's residency and like the incredible conversations that I had with him and by way of that engage, like by way of the launch, the conversations that I had with other folks just sort of nailed it in my, 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 my consciousness that this work isn't just, it's not, it's not individualistic. Yeah. You are one person, but the work that we are we are doing, both of us and many of us here in Ghana, is about other people. It, yes, it's about ourselves, but it's about a collective global community. Mm-hmm. And I think you asked, you know, your question earlier was two parts, and the second part was like, what do you think you've learned? And I think one of the things that I think I've learned is to have an open mind. Mm-hmm. And to, again, I want to talk about 
listening because the thing is, you know, you can have a studio visit and from where I'm sitting, I, I wouldn't necessarily put my, 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 my feet in the shoes of being a mentor at this stage in my career, but I would put myself in the position of being someone who can have an exchange of ideas with an artist. Mm-hmm. Where, that's what it's about. Right, that, exactly. And like listening to the artist say, like being like, so what is it that you need? Like what, where, where are you in your practice right now? And what is it that you don't have? Or what, do you don't, what, you don't, what don't you have access to? I'm so struck by the resourcefulness of artists here. Yeah. The fact that they have so little at their disposal, but they have so much creative spirit with what they use. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, you walk down the street in New York City and there's a Blick, there's this, there's, you know, there used to be propane. There's places where you have access to so much material, but I don't have the sense of inventiveness that I see here is not what I see in the States. So I'm excited because I'm, my eyes are looking at something I have not seen before. Even if in the figuration that I see, there's a lot of similarity. I also know that these artists are facing a, a reality and a set of challenges that's completely different than artists in, in the US, mm-hmm. by and large. Mm-hmm. So I sort of say all that to say that my overarching experience here has been one of how do you participate and observe and do that in a very thoughtful, respectful, intentional way. Mm-hmm. Those are those are some of the really big things that I'm taking away from this trip. Mm-hmm. It'll shift like how you approach, you know, your writing practice and like, you know, the curatorial projects you want to do. I mean, I think that there are definitely curatorial projects that I have that I'm thinking about for the U.S. and for like, like sort of like U.S.-based and Caribbean-based artists. I think that what is definitely shifting is sort of understanding the cultural nuance of what does it mean to be a Ghanaian? What does it mean to be a West African? You know, I might stay, you know, as I've extended my trip three times already, I might go to Nigeria. I might go to another part of the continent and discover new things. But I think if I, if I give it, because I haven't really thought about that yet. Hmm. So in order to, to really answer you properly, I would just have to kind of come on the spot. And my on the spot response is more like, you know, I think that there are so many forces at play that people here are impacted by that are about a global conversation of what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. So my, I, I, I would, would imagine that my writing and my curatorial approach, being on this side of the world and being here, would take into account what's happening more broadly, right? What are African people confronted with? Govern politically, socially, economically, because it's something that I see, right? You see the way people. But do you think? Because I was talking with someone earlier, because this idea of sovereignty comes up in my mind, and being able to like, you know, I think for me, I recognized a long time ago the power and like showing up as your full self, doing the things you want to do of your own volition and not, you know, feeling pressure to conform. Do you think about that just in terms of your? When I think, has that come up? In terms of my writing? Your writing or just life? Because I think one thing that's interesting is that, like, you know, you've been here pretty much the same amount of time I've been here. Yeah. It's like three, four weeks or something like yeah. that. And there's something fortifying about being around folks that look like you. I mean, yes, you deal with a different set of challenges, but I think it also invites you to kind of honor what we take for granted back in the States. But then also, like, the things that we think we need, actually we don't need, and they're just kind of like aiding and abetting this like consumerist ideology. Well, I mean, 
that's such a big statement and within the question that you're asking there's it's really loaded I've, I've had so many feelings about the fact that I don't see white people here yeah like I feel you know like my belly is full with yam and plantain but I feel 20 pounds lighter because I'm not dealing with racial issues. I'm not code switching every day. I'm not like wondering what's going to happen when I'm on the subway or if I'm in a car with my brother or some other black man. Am I like worried? Like I've been stopped at checkpoints here numerous times with friends and I see the way police interact with the, like I just see the interactions and I'm like, I have PTSD. Like I'm literally like my body, my stomach gets tight. Like, my mouth is dry. I'm like, what's about to go down? And I know, and, and they're laughing. They're yeah. literally having a joke. Yeah. And, like, the, the police officer might be trying to get, a, you know, a, a, a seti or two. Mm-hmm. Or trying to get a little bit of, you know, pocket money. And, the, you know, the dude is like, no, that's not happening. And they're making a joke. And everything's so cool. But my reality of that circumstance is completely different. Mm-hmm. The things that I have experienced firsthand, it's not scrolling through my Instagram. It's being in the passenger seat of a car when my brother's getting pulled over and having this experience and this exchange that has the potential to become incredibly violent like that yeah. in an instant. Mm-hmm. That's not something I deal with here. Yeah. And so because I don't have to go through that, there are so and, and, and a slew of other situations like that, there are other things that I can focus my energy on. And so my mind is more clear. My spirit is more at peace. My head is more focused. My energy is completely different. So that was something that it wasn't like, oh, I had it wasn't that thought had never crossed my mind. It wasn't like on the way to Africa. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have this like non-white, you know, never once. That's not how it works. You just are living in the moment and you're experiencing something and you're like, wow. And you spoke about this earlier. The more time you spend here. Being able, or, or even like as the trip gets longer and longer, you go back, you're like more fortified, like more renewed, and you go back into situations where you might not have been your most confident, but you can show up as your full self because you've been showing up as your full self every day here. Yeah, and they say it takes what 28, 30 days to build a habit. You know, you know once you build that habit, it's kind of hard to break. Right. You know, and I think for me, it's just like, I'm pulling up on 28 to 30 days in a couple days. I know. Yeah. Because <laughs> I remember, like, last year when Aja came, and, you know, Aja had a similar experience where they extended their time, you know, and I think identified ways which she could have value through her writing practice and acting as work. And so uh, that's why when I saw you, I said, like, oh, yeah, you know, you're going to be here for a while. <laughs> But I think, you know, something to think about, like, for folks who, and I think we've talked about it a little bit, but for folks who are only experiencing this through Instagram or through pictures or maybe articles, like, can you give people, like, a sense or, I mean, you can't give them 100%, but just, like, a little bit of the texture? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, for me, it's almost like, you know, a city like Vegas or a city like Miami at certain times of the year. That isn't all the city has to offer. Mm-hmm. And there's so much to be seen outside of the shiny glitz and glam and the things that you see that are sort of attracting you. Mm-hmm. And if you, I think if you have a, if you're open enough to explore and be impacted by different things and not just want to go to the, you know, the party with all like the sexy girls and like the guys with bottles and tables. And if you're interested in a different experience, you can have that. Mm-hmm. And I also think that, so on the one side, there's, 
what you have access to, which is a wide variety of different things, traveling, exploring the country, doing touristy things, seeing sites, learning the history of this country, and learning more about, you know, a lot of people come here and, like, they, people just be finding out, like, they're Ghanaian, right? Or, like, they find out there's some from, uh, some, from some other part of Africa, and it's like, Black American people have an identity crisis that they are living with regularly, every day, and like, you know, I'm not African. You know, like the African immigrant comes into your neighborhood and he's different and he smells different and he eats different things and he acts different and you're like, I'm not like that. There's a lot of that, still. Yeah, and the thing is, you look at the food that you eat, like I was talking with like about Jollof, did we go someplace? We went someplace and she was like, oh, that's Jollof. I was like, I know. Hello, I'm like, I'm like Black Eyed Peas. Like red beans and rice yeah. in Louisiana, and here you have red red? Yeah, it's Come funny. On. But the irony is, I had red red on New Year's Day, and I know, like, the I don't really subscribe to the Black Eyed Peas kind of ritual, gotcha. but ironically, like, I like, looked at it, I was like, oh, wait, this is what I'm eating on New Year's Day. And I, it's like I've seen this before, I've had this plate yeah. before, halfway around the world. Yeah, and I think for me, I become less and less like adamant about like focusing on a national identity because part of that is a construction, a colonial construction. But like, what does it look like to have you know friends from Nigeria, you know Kwe and Gabby here from Senegal, met another young lady from Rwanda who are just like here, thriving, part of it, feel home, and then hopefully you know when folks go to Dakar or Kigali or Nairobi. They feel the same, right? And this shifted consciousness that, you know, and I'm not trying to be kumbaya about like, oh, if we all work together, that's not real. We're still human. People have agendas and biases. And, you know, that also kind of rears its head here in Ghana. So, like, I don't want to paint this as like perfect. I think you just deal with a different set of issues, right? That don't necessarily trigger traumatic memory, right? And so it's just interesting, like, I think you asked yesterday at the conversation with Essie, Nyla, and Chance about, you know, this re-narrativizing of a Pan-African, this ideal, you know, and I'm curious, how do we lean into that in a way that it's palatable, you know, because when you read about it, depending on how the how you engage it, like, you know, the show I did with Amako was inspired by souls of black folks. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and me kind of like reading his work as this assessment of black life, right? But like, what does a new pan-Africanist, I don't even want to say ideology, but perspective, what can that look like? You know, how do we advocate for that as a way to kind of get people in the diaspora to understand that like, we're all in this together to a degree, right? Mm-hmm. And that if we understand that, that we can kind of shift the balance of power. Right. You know? Right. I mean, you know, I think sometimes I can be a little harsh and like what I said earlier about like the black American identity crisis, while I I do very much feel that way, I also think that more importantly, what we need as a collective people is is a unlearning and a relearning. Right? There has to be the willingness to, to peel back the layers of what you think you know mm-hmm. and what schools have taught you and what society has told you and what the history books that were not written by people like you have led you to believe and to be open to a different story, a more truer story of, 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 of all of what has sort of transpired in modern history on mm-hmm. the continent. And like, how are we more similar than we are different? 
But I, I think the impetus for any of, of these ideas, or even getting to a place of feeling a sense of oneness, is to start with an open mind. Yes. You can't start from a place of, I believe this and this is all I believe, yeah. with like a closed fist. Metaphorically speaking, you have to start with an open hand. That's the only way it's like you reach across the aisle and you connect with someone else. So I think, that, you know, the reason that I brought that question up yesterday was because the series of conversations that had happened the day prior when the Black Star Festival had their, you know, long day of panels was that Pan-Africanism was talked about in several panels. And it got me thinking about, this is a perfect example of bridging that gap. I mean, mm -hmm. you have Chance and Vic, who have Ghanaian roots, but had pre, you know, at, at earlier periods of their life had never even stepped foot here. And then you have many people on the panel who are Ghanaian, mm -hmm. right? And you are right there, you are creating a place where potentially two groups or two people who have different, two types of groups who have very different identities are coming together yeah. to find what is our commonality. Yeah, and I think that bridging of the gap is important because there's a, I mean, there's a reality in terms of like black American culture has evolved in a particular way and has made significant contribution to global culture. hundred percent. I mean, I was talking to a brother the other night, he was like, you know, but black Brits have done the same. And it's just like, you know, how do you create a condition where it's like, I would say us against them, but like, you're not making these comparisons. Yeah. Because like, each place, the story is different and it's evolved different. And how can we learn from each other's story, see the similarities, but then say, okay, how can we now collaborate? And I think the festival is a great example. Absolutely. To now push together a new narrative, a new aesthetic, a new way of thinking together that's inclusive of all the best parts. Right? And also not limiting it to Ghana. You know, I always tell people, you know, find a place that you kind of feel at peace. It might not be here. You know, it could be Kenya, it could be Tanzania, it could be South Africa. But I mean, there is something, I was talking to a young lady the other day, she was like, you know, these, these spaces are portals, you know, charged with energy. So how do you tap in that energy and then kind of fortify you to do whatever it is that you do? One, but then two, you know, it's interesting how his, like I was talking to someone, yes, I'm talking to yesterday, about the show Ghosts of Empires, and how, like, you know, our understanding of particular histories and how things structure, I think for me, potentially, one gives us a better understanding of why something is happening right now. So, what's the residue of it? And then, what can we do to be proactive in changing that, shifting that, dismantling that? And so, it's exciting, you know, because I think you don't, I think when we're back home, that feels like more of a burden, you know? And then the question is like, why do we have to be burdened with doing this work? Like, why are, you know, these folks doing that? And it's like, here you're just dealing with a different set of concerns, you know? And it's more related to, like, economics and, like, class. And politics. And politics and power. And so not to negate those things, and for me, it's also kind of like, negotiating that and reflecting on that and figuring out like where can you create these pockets of like equity and parity and access. And I love that, you know, artists to the best of their ability are figuring out ways to kind of rectify that. You know, whether it's like, you know, like what Paul's doing, where he's gonna start teaching people how to like code and edit film and edit photography. And like, if you develop and become really good, that now becomes a job and the way you can make funds and support your family. You know, the residency, I believe there's like some writing workshops. And you know, I think this is, 
as an observer, it's just really exciting to see, like, I met an artist's parents yesterday, and I'm encouraging him in his practice. He's Ghanaian? Yeah. Unheard of. But, like, the success of, you know, these cats, people see it. You know, and unfortunately, you know, parentals tend to measure success with numbers, but they know that at least it's like a valid kind of location. And there is a potential to be able to make a living, take care of your family, and like be an active member of society. And be respected. Exactly. You know, and so that for me has been exciting to watch that shift. Where like, you know, before it was like, oh, you have to be a doctor, engineer, or a lawyer. Another part is how fast the change has taken place. Yeah. That's something that's really interesting to reflect on. It's like, it's happening so quickly, Mm -hmm. right? And another part that I keep thinking about is like the resources and the money and how things are still being exported out of Africa, right? Mm -hmm. Wealth, resources, art, talent. But how do you keep it here? Or how do you just bring it back? Again, that... That, that, that idea of bridging the gap continues to roll into my mind. It's like, if if you have a whole generation of talented people who feel that they're forced to leave, how, how does the society get better and become more enriched? And if you don't have answers to those questions, at least have the courage to ask them. Yeah. Right? And talk to other people who might be able to be solution-oriented and work together. Well, I think that's where the shift has occurred. I mean, it's, I mean, it's like the snowball theory when they tell you about like, paying debt. You know, you kind of start with like the smallest debt, knock that out quick, and then build up. And I think it's been building up for a long time because I have a number of friends who have been figuring out ways to move back to Ghana, figuring out ways to be part of what was happening. I think COVID actually was a catalyst because, you know, folks were sitting at home for however long they were sitting at home and they had, you know, this device is their only way to kind of communicate, express, emote, learn. And I think it kind of accelerated you know, a lot of what's happening because like cats who didn't have a gallery now are able to utilize these platforms to kind of showcase their art, sell their art, have conversations about their art. And people were forced to get creative because there there was limited mobility, you know. And so I think, you know, COVID probably sped things up for like five years. Exactly. You know, and so now the question is, you know, we're here at this point what are the things that we need to be asking to kind of like continue to push the envelope and push the conversation? Definitely, definitely. And I think us just being here, having a discourse, meeting people, connecting with people on different sides of the world, making relationships, that's the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's the beginning of it all. I like that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is great. You know, I always enjoy being in conversation with you so much. It's like so enriching. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm glad we could put it down on digital paper. Absolutely. And hopefully, you know, love to hear what folks think, you know, comments, emails. It's fluid, so this is not like a start, stop, beginning, end. I mean, it's going to continue to evolve. And I think it's just like, how do we kind of work collaboratively to kind of explore that evolution? Absolutely. So. Always, it's been lovely to have you on, and thank, thank you. you for asking so many good questions. I feel like I've been, you know, like I'm a, I'm a guest on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you thank for that. You. I appreciate it. <laughs> that was my episode being interviewed by Larry Osei Mensah. 
I want to give a big shout out to Larry for joining me on the show for the third time. It's always such a pleasure to be in conversation with someone whose opinions and thoughts I respect and admire, and someone whose perspective makes me think more broadly about the things that I do. Stay tuned after the jump. We're going to continue to release more episodes this season. And it's a wrap, folks. That was our episode of Lightwork Presents Everything is Connected conversations on culture and current events with some of today's hottest creative contemporaries. These episodes were recorded between New York, Miami, and Ghana over the past six months and reflect the times we are living in while also adding some commentary to the social, cultural, and political issues of our world at large. Depending on where I am in the world at the time of our recordings, you will hear the sounds of our local environments throughout the U.S. and in West Africa. I'm your host, Folashade Olobundudu, and we'll see you next time. As always, stay motivated, stay inspired, and stay up. Peace and love, y'all. We out.